All right, so like Rebecca said, my name is Aaron. I'm one of the pastors here. Um, glad you make it this morning. So I'm not the regular preacher here. Uh, Brandon, uh, who's one of the other pastors, he's the one who does the regular preaching, but he's taking a couple weeks off here to prepare the next uh, sermon series that we have that's coming up here in the fall. Um, and if you've been coming here um, this summer, you know that uh, we've been preaching through uh, themes in the book of Proverbs in the Old Testament. Yeah, and the theme that we're going to be talking about today is money. So depending on your sensibilities, this is probably either the best sermon, best week you could have showed up or the worst week you could have showed up. So depending on your sensibilities, so there you go. But uh, yeah, I was texting Brandon uh, last week and I was like, you know, because we, we picked out these themes months ago and everything of like what we were going to preach on and everything. So, but like I texted him this week, of, like, I was like, I can't remember, have we had an entire sermon about money? Like our entire, like our entire two-year history as a church? And, and uh, he was like, he just texted back, like, no. <laughs> it's like, so anyway, so uh, yeah, so there you go. Um, yeah, so like we've been seeing week after week in the series, like Proverbs is about being wise and reflecting God's image and character. But being wise and reflecting God's image and character. And the reason why that's important is because from a Christian perspective, life is about God, and it's about us orbiting our lives around him and not the other way around. And in the midst of us orbiting our lives around him, he knows what's best for us and what's for our ultimate good in all the areas of our lives. So not in like a compartmentalized kind of way, like, eh, like I do my spiritual stuff over here, like I'm going to compartmentalize this other parts over here. Like he knows what's... Like good for us in all of our areas of our lives as we orbit our, ourselves, our lives around him. So just like we used to tell our daughters, so I have three daughters, um, we have a lot of talking in our family. So just like we used to tell our daughters when, when, they were, when they were younger, like, don't touch the blue flame on the stove. It's really pretty. I know you want to touch it. It's just like, man, it's like Avatar, just like right there. Don't touch the blue flame. It's going to hurt. It's not going to be good for your flourishing. It's not going to be good for human flourishing. It ain't going to be good for anybody. So just don't touch. Trust me because I love you. All right. So when God tells us something that pertains to our lives, it's meant for our ultimate good and for our flourishing. And that's true even when it comes to something like money. So God's instructions for us about money are rooted in wisdom when it comes to how we think about money, how we feel about money, and what we do with money. So rhetorically, I'd ask you, like, what has shaped you the most when it comes to how you think about money, feel about money, and do with money? Has it been your parents? Has it been your friends? Has it been your favorite financial guru on the internet? You know? Or maybe just like plain old, you just figured it out on your own. Or maybe you've seen how your parents or someone else like uh, thought, felt, and you know spent money, and then like you've just reflexively ran in the opposite direction. Like I'm just gonna. So you're not like necessarily following God and like putting yourself under His lordship when it comes to money. You're just reflexively running in the opposite direction. I'm just like I'm not gonna be like that person over there or my parents. But regardless of who, what, or how you've been influenced up to this point. Like, if you want to orbit your life around God, then you need to understand that money, you need to understand money in light of the gospel, which Proverbs consistently points us towards, which begs the question, what does it mean to understand money in light of the gospel? What does it mean to understand money in light of the gospel? So with that in mind, I'm just going to hit on two big picture things this morning. You only get two points this morning. So, um, so one, money reveals your heart, and two, uh, money provides opportunities to trust God. Money reveals your heart, and money provides opportunities to trust God. So let's pray. Um, 
Yeah, God, I pray that you'll speak through me. Um, thank you that you've, um, you've worked in my heart and in in my preparation for this, just as like I've been studying your word. But I pray that you'll open my mouth when it should and uh, close it when it should as well. And yeah, we just really trust you that like you'll be opening um, our hearts and minds and ears and just, um, yeah, just in terms of like um, how you think and feel about money and just like how you des- like what you desire for us, God. Yeah, so I pray you just, your spirit will work with that. We love you. Amen. All right, so money reveals your heart. Money reveals your heart. So Proverbs 28, 11, the rich are wise in their own eyes. One who is poor and discerning sees how deluded they are. So this is talking about the delusion and the self-centeredness that sometimes, if not often, comes with being financially prosperous. They've lost touch with the things that matter. Their, the life, their life is way out of balance, and everybody can see it except them. Proverbs eleven twenty eight: Those who trust in their riches will fall, but the righteous will thrive like a green leaf. So this doesn't say that if you have riches, you'll fall. It says that those who trust in riches will fall. And trusting here in this proverb is contrasted with righteousness. And not self-righteousness, but the righteousness in the Old Testament sense of the word, which is about being characterized by knowing and following God in your heart and mind. The righteous don't put their trust and their hope in riches and what it can bring and how it can satisfy. And as a result of not putting their trust and hope in riches, it says that the righteous will thrive like a green leaf. In the spring, you see that leaf that's green. It's like, man, that thing ain't dead. It's going... Like it's going to town, it's alive. So according to this verse, your flourishing as a person is intricately tied to where you put your hope. In Proverbs 37, 30 verse 7, 7 through 9. Two things I ask of you, Lord. Do not refuse me before I die. Keep falsehood and lies from far from me. Give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. Otherwise, I may have too much and disown you and say, Who is the Lord? Or I may become poor and steal and so dishonor the name of my God. So these are, uh, these are lyrics of a worship song uh, here at River City, um, and this is where it comes from in Proverbs 30. This is actually in the worship set that we're playing after I get done speaking, so like, we did not coordinate that either, so there you go. But don't get lost in the weeds of what this writer is saying here, because what the writer is trying to say in this Proverbs is he's trying to express the reality that we all know if we think carefully about the spiritual implications of money. Namely, that there are dangerous spiritual landmines for being wealthy. And there are dangerous spiritual landmines for being broke. And it shouldn't surprise us that this is the case because the love and the treasuring of money can take up residence in your heart regardless of what tax bracket you're in. And we know that's true because throughout the Bible we see There are rich people who are righteous. There are rich people who are unrighteous. There are poor people who are righteous. There are poor people who are unrighteous. Like, that's because your righteousness doesn't stem from whether you are rich or poor. 
Rather, your righteousness is based on trusting and putting your hope in the gospel because Jesus is the one who gives you his righteousness. So the righteousness of Jesus is what makes you righteous. It has nothing to do with whether you're rich or poor. You know, it's interesting because, like, in, uh, in my parents' generation, I, I grew up in a family that we, we didn't follow Jesus and stuff like that, but, um, like, in my parents' kind of generation, like, in the 80s, um, uh, you know, this thing called prosperity theology, which is kind of a nerdy word and everything, nerdy phrase and everything, but it was all the rage in the 1980s, but, um, and not to get too deep in the weeds of what that means, but pros- prosperity theology basically says that the richer I am, the closer I am to God. Which is crazy because, dude, like, you worship a broke homeless guy who got murdered. You know, it's like, like, do you go to Sunday school in the back of a van? I mean, it's like, how do you get from that to that? It's like, oh, the richer I am, the closer I am to God. It's like, you know, personally, I don't, I don't meet many people who deeply believe in prosperity theology. Um, but I do meet a lot of people who believe in poverty theology. <laughs> so, which is the opposite of prosperity theology, but it's just as dangerous. So if prosperity theology says that the richer I am, the closer I am to God, poverty theology says the more broke I am, the closer I am to God. So, for example, um, Andy, Andy Burchart, like who, um, he didn't know I was going to talk about him here. But, so I knew Andy when he was in college. And when he first started following Jesus, uh, he didn't have these kind of categories for his thinking or anything like that. But, um, but he had a lot of uh, poverty theology aspects to his thinking when um, he started, first started following Jesus. Like, for example, it's like, I'm going to give away 100% of my money. I'm going to live in the inner city. Like, I'm going to be, like, martyrdom is my retirement plan. It's like, I'm going to be broke and homeless just like Jesus, you know? And Andy didn't say this out loud, but in essence, what he believed was that the more sacrificial he was, like, the closer he was going to be to God. And the good news is that the more that Andy grew in his understanding of the gospel, the more evened out he became. So he eventually knew that his righteousness wasn't based on how much he sacrificed for Jesus, but it was based on how much Jesus sacrificed for him. You know, and today Andy is characterized by being sacrificial and generous, but he doesn't do that with the motive of trying to get closer to God. So because Jesus has taken care of that. So we can definitely see that today there are spiritual landmines when it comes to, to avoid when it comes to being wealthy and being broke. And that's also why Jesus talks about greed in the way he does. So you may not know about this, but know this, but um, Jesus talks way more about greed than almost any other subject, like sex, for example. So, and I've heard some people say that, oh, well, that proves, you know, because, like, Jesus talks about in that proportion, like, that, that proves that, like, Jesus cares, cares way more about greed than our sexuality, so Christians should just pump the brakes on, like, talking about the latter, you know. Um, but that's not why Jesus talks about that in the proportion that he does. The reason why Jesus talks about it in the proportion that he does is because, as Tim Keller says, generally speaking, um, it's not that hard to identify when you sin sexually, it's like, oh, you're not my wife, you know? And it's like, but greed, but greed, that's just a lot more sneaky and hard to identify, 
You know, because when we think of greed, we typically think of a person who has this huge financial portfolio and they throw around their money in reckless ways, which is true. That person may be greedy on a heart level. But the reality is, is that you can be completely broke and homeless, in a ho- living in a homeless shelter, and you can be the greediest person in the tri-state area. That's because greed is ultimately about putting your hope and your trust in money. And you can put your hope and your trust in money no matter what your income level is. And that's why we see, you know, that's why we see that money reveals your heart and exposes where our true allegiances are. So Jesus says in Matthew 6, where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. So matter, no matter how big or small your treasure is, you're like, I mean, some of you may be like, man, you've, you should see my income. It's pretty, my treasure is pretty small. <laughs> it's like, you know, you should see my bank account. You should see my credit card. It's like, no, no, no. Like, no matter how big or small your treasure is, like, you find it, that's where your heart is. So where is your treasure? Like, you look at your bank account, you look at your por- financial portfolio, you look at your credit card statement, and like what you spend your money on, that's where your treasure is. And that's where your heart is. So um, can I say something? Um, oh yeah, well, well, so here at River City, um, we talk a lot about the idols of power and approval and comfort and control and how we're all tempted to find our identity in those things instead of finding our identity in Christ. And we also talk a lot about how believing the gospel is what ultimately addresses all of those, those idols on, in an ongoing way on a heart level. Um, but can I say something really practical about these idols that I don't think we've ever talked about at River City? Um, finding your identity in those things, in power and approval and comfort and control, um, it's really expensive to find your identity in those things. So for example, look at your credit card statement, if you're into credit cards. How much on your credit card statement is rooted in gaining the approval of your extended family, or the approval of your coworkers, or the approval of your friends? How much, of your credit card, how much on your credit card statement is rooted in you trying to gain certainty over certain parts of your life, whether that's over your kids or over your future? It's just like, how much of your credit card statement is rooted in trying to maximize your comfort and pleasurable experiences in life because having certain, experience, certain experiences, is a, that's a critical, foundational, basement-level issue to you? Like, why is that so critical to you? You know, and man, as, as totally weird as this sounds, like, man, like, it, in the, as weird as this sounds, like, it's really expensive to not worship Jesus. And that makes sense because when you have an, you know, not to nerd out on, like, the biblical theology of, like, idolatry, but, like, when there's idols in the Bible, like, in the Old Testament, like, there are people that made sacrifices to their idols. That's what you do. Like, you sacrifice to your idols. And when we look back on the Old Testament, we're like, eh, those people, they weren't, like, as sophisticated and, like, everything like that. But, like, no, like, we make sacrifices to our idols, too. Like, we just look more, a lot more sophisticated about it. But the good news is that Jesus is our sacrifice. And when we believe the gospel by putting our trust and our hope and our identity in Jesus, 
that gives us the courage to rearrange and reorganize our treasure in ways that are all about him and not about the approval of power and approval and comfort and control. So what, is that, what does that rearranging of our treasure look like? So I'll just get really practical here. Um, so, you know, because this is a book about wisdom and everything, so I'll just get practical here. But So one of the suggestions, um, one of my suggestions, and again, this is just a suggestion, like is um, if you haven't created a budget, then create a budget. So uh, if you are too lazy to have ever created a budget, you need to find your identity in Jesus, turn away from finding your identity in comfort and laziness and doing whatever it is you want to do and spending on whatever you, you want to spend and, like, make a budget. And when you make a budget, the principle is, align your, from a Christian perspective, is align your budget with kingdom priorities. Align your budget with kingdom priorities. So what does that mean? So the guys I disciple, um, I always encourage them to not think about budgeting in terms of needs versus wants. Um, uh, Because seriously, like, what do you actually need? You know, technically, we, my family, we could live in a two-bedroom house and eat cheese tortillas until Jesus comes back. I mean, technically, we could do that. So, like, we don't, like, what do we need? Like, there's not a lot that we capital N need, you know? So, like, but that's why I encourage, um, I encourage people, like, don't think about needs versus wants. Instead, align your budget with kingdom priorities and when you do that, what you'll notice is that some things are higher priorities and some things are lower priorities. So don't do the needs versus wants things, like higher priorities, lower priorities. So I'll be transparent um, and just give you some examples of my life. Um, I'm a little uncomfortable talking about this just because like, I know we don't bat a thousand with this stuff. But um, So just some practical examples. Uh, a lot of you have been to our house before. Um, I don't have the biggest TV in the world. I've been to Sam's Club and seen some of those TVs. But okay, like we have like a pretty big TV. That is the biggest TV I've ever owned in my life. I don't care about having a big TV. I just need a TV big enough. Need a big TV big enough to like watch the Minnesota Timberwolves lose on a on a semi regular basis. Okay, that's just all I need. But um, when we moved into our house, like when we align our budget with kingdom priorities, it's like, okay, well, one of our kingdom priorities is like, we want to make disciples and we want people to know, love, and follow Jesus, okay? So like part of that for us is just really hospitality and just really setting up an environment that's conducive for that. So if that's a kingdom priority, it's like, okay, well, you know, I'm I'm content with having a TV that's smaller than that, but like, okay, well, I'm just going to get a bigger TV so that, you know, we can have guys over and watch sports and just stuff like that, you know? It's just... That's a, prior, you know, that's a kingdom priority for us, so we're just going to put more money towards that. Um, the couches in our house, um, we want, I mean, we don't have the greatest couches in the world, okay, but like, those are like, you know, the nicest couches we've had, and the reason why we put more money towards that is because like, we just want to have like, large groups of people over, over because we want people to know, love, and follow Jesus. We want to make disciples, so we're going to have like, a bigger couch, you know, in our living room area. So, like, we're going to put more money towards that, even though we'd be content with having, like, you know, something not as nice as that. So our food budget, you know, it's like we have a greater, we have a pretty large food budget. I'd probably be embarrassed to tell you how much our food budget is. You know, because, like, we have large groups of people over at our house, like, a lot, you know, and, like, that's a priority for us. You know, 
it's like when we align our budget with kingdom priorities, it's like we want to have hospitality. So like hospitality is a higher priority. So it's just like we put more money towards that because we want people to know, love, and follow Jesus. We want to make disciples. So, you know, and for those of you who have been over to our house before, it's like, so there's like this, it used to be like this wall in the middle, like dividing the uh, kitchen and dining room from the, our living room. So um, we took that out, and I wasn't completely sure that was a load-bearing wall or not, so I hedged my bets, and I was like, I'm going to have a construction company <laughs> come in and take care of that. Um, and you know, it wasn't cheap to have them come in. It wasn't cheap to like, have, like, you know, take out all the electrical stuff and move all that around. Like, I'm not smart enough to do that on my own. I don't trust myself. But like, that's a higher priority because like, when we align our budget with kingdom priorities, it's like, man, it's like, like, I want to have like, more of a space for like, large quantities of people in our house cause, like, so that people can know, love, and follow Jesus, and we want to make disciples. So it's like, okay, we're going like, to push more money into the middle with that and everything. You know? So, and because, like, I mean, those are just some of the examples, but, like, and because those things are higher priorities, then what that means is that there are some other things that are lower priorities. And I'm not going to go through a list of, like, the things that for us that are lower priorities, but um, suffice to say, there are some things that we just choose to not afford. So, two, so money reveals your heart. Second point. Money provides opportunities to trust God. Money provides opportunities to trust God. So Proverbs 16.8, better, better a little with righteousness than much gain with injustice. Better a little with righteousness than much gain with injustice. So in God's economy, it's better to do the right thing and take a financial hit than to do the wrong thing and have a financial gain. So when I hear speakers talk and preachers and all that kind of stuff like talk about this, um, they, they typically give examples of big stuff like cheating on your taxes and <laughs> dishonest business, pra business practices that you're engaging in at work. But, and those kind of things do fit under the umbrella of what this passage is talking about. But for many of us, um, this proverb is especially applicable um, in just in the normal, everyday situations of life. So I'll just give you a couple examples um, of how this has pertained to me in the last two, three years, um, even as lately as a couple weeks ago. Um, uh, so when we first moved here about two and a half years ago, uh, we ripped out all the carpet, and like, there was this uh, proto-laminate that they made like, that the original owners in the early 90s like, put in. It was just like, it was like a... It's like, you just... You could just, I don't know, it was, it was a hazard. Anyway, um, so uh, we ripped out all the carpet and the proto-laminate, like, in all the common areas, and, uh, yeah, and, you know, because, like, again, we were aligning our budget with kingdom priorities. It's like, if we're going to have large groups of people into our house because we want them to have hospitality and pe have people know Jesus, like, okay, well, we're going to get flooring that hopefully kind of doesn't suck. Okay, so... Um, so we used our 20% Lowe's coupon from the post office that we got, and then uh, we bought flooring at Lowe's, and then we installed it ourselves. So um, I didn't want to make a bunch of <laughs> trips, like, back and forth to Lowe's and everything, getting, like, extra flooring. So I just bought more than I needed, then I was just going to return the rest that I, didn't, like, um, that I didn't use. So when we got done, we had $400 in flooring um, uh, to return. So... I brought it back, and uh, the lady at the customer service desk at Lowe's um, rung it up, and 
uh, she put $800 uh, back on my credit card <laughs> and instead of 400 So I politely told the lady, it's like, oh, it's actually, I mean, hopefully I said this in a nice way, but it's like, oh, it's like, it's actually 400 instead of 800 you know? And uh, she said, no, it's actually 400 or, No, it's actually, um, it's 800 So I said, like, no, 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 it's, like, it's actually 400 And then she looked at me and she's like, I think I know what I'm doing. And I was like, and she, the way she said it kind of put me on my heels. So I was just like, I was just really confused, so I just walked out of the store and drove away. And I'm like, um, yeah, and, and I was thinking and praying on, the, on my way home, like, moving is really expensive. It's like, it seems like you're writing a check for everything, like, when that moving period. It's like, moving is really expensive. Is this God providing extra money for us? <laughs> you know, it's like, I started thinking all these crazy thoughts just like that to just to justify this and everything. Um, but shortly after I got home, Becky and I, my wife, Becky and I, um, we, we talked about it, and we decided, like, no, like, the right way to think about this is that God is providing an opportunity for us to trust him with our finances. He's our provider, and he's the one we trust with our finances. So this is an opportunity that he's providing us to trust him enough to be persistent in being truthful. So if I believe that God is my provider, then I can live in full integrity when it comes to our finances. And I don't need to cut corners and make lame excuses. Because trust me, I can think of a lot of lame excuses. Like, Lowe's is this big company. They don't mind missing $400. That's their problem if they don't like train their customer service people, right? It's like, I could come up with a lot of lame excuses. But the fact that God is my provider frees me to bend over backwards to act with integrity when it comes to my finances. Um, and even as lately as a couple weeks ago, so um, I started buying uh, I started buying vitamins. My daughters make fun of me because these vitamins come in the mail and everything. Um, so I started buying these vitamins because uh, I'm turning 40 this year, and that seems like that'd be a, something that somebody who's turning 40 would do or something. I don't know. It's like seems like maybe that's sustainable, whatever. Um, as I grow older, so. Um, so, these, so the, the deal is like, so I'm buying these vitamins on this company's website and on each bottle. So you buy it from this company that comes to our house and then on the bottle it says, get, a next, get the next bottle free. I'm like, sweet. Okay, I didn't. So you go on their website and then like you get an activation code or whatever. Then they send you another bottle of vitamins. Buy one, get one free. But what they don't tell you is that you can't buy one, get one free in perpetuity. It's actually just buy one, get one free per customer. You know, so you can only do it once. Um, I would argue that's maybe a little dishonest advertising, but whatever, that's not the point. So, so a couple weeks ago, I'm thinking to myself, like, oh, it's like I have a bunch of email addresses from, like, over the years that I don't use. Like, I can just use a bunch of my different email accounts over the next year and just get free vitamins, and then they'll just never know who I am, and then it'll just be a lot cheaper, and then I would save money because they were being dishonest in the first place. Um... You know, and I was, as I was thinking and praying about it, it's like, okay, well, okay, this is a normal everyday situation in life. Um, and there's two ways that I can approach that situation as a Christian. It's like, I can approach that the moralistic way, or I can approach that the gospel way. Because the moralistic way to that approach to that situation is like, eh, it's not that much money you'd be saving by deceiving a company like that. So why don't you just pay the extra little bit of money and just don't be a cheapskate? And maybe there is some truth to that. <laughs> but like that is a moralistic way of like, even though that's true, it's like, well, 
It's like that's a moralistic way approach to it. The gospel way of looking at it is different, though. Because the gospel way of looking at it is, says that God is my provider and everything I have is because of him. So if these dumbo vitamins are something that God wants me to have so I can maybe be a little more healthy as I get older so I can make disciples, it's like, again, like lining, like lining our budget with kingdom priorities. If that's what God, God is our provider, if that's what he wants me to have, then he's going to provide the finances for me. Like, and if he doesn't, then, well, what else? Since he's my provider, I can put my trust and my hope in him to the point where I don't need to cut corners with my finances. Because in the little areas of life, when, they're with, like, when we're tempted to like, cut corn, when we're cutting corners financially and everything, we are, what we're doing is we're making a theological statement about who God is. Is God my provider? Better a little with righteousness than much gain with injustice. Last one. So Proverbs eleven twenty five. A generous person will prosper. Whoever whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. So this is the kind of stuff that we talked about in our membership class. But generosity is about the gospel. If you don't understand the gospel, then generosity for you is going to be based on some wonky combination of guilt, obligation, or giving in order to get. And that's a problem because those motivations aren't rooted in the gospel. And generosity here in Proverbs 11 is being used in a really general way. So it's a junk drawer term for like your time and your talent and your treasure. So when it comes to time and talent, not all of us have the same um, amount of time available due to jobs and life circumstances, but the main thing that we're concerned about here at River City is um, what's your heart when it comes to your, your time and your talent? So whether that's attending a small group, volunteering in the nursery, inviting people over for supper, like helping disciple someone, being on mission at work in, in your work and neighborhood, inviting people to small group, um, and just generally being part of the River City community. Like here at River City, that's being generous with your time and talent. But this sermon is about money, so let's just talk a little deeper about the treasure part of generosity. So if you read 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 8, verses 8 through 9, um, your financial generosity is meant to be an outworking and reflection of the gospel in such a way that your giving is meant to be generous and joyful it's meant to be done in proportion to your income and not um, in, t- in terms of like what you have and your income and isn't meant to be done reluctantly or under compulsion. And the best part of, of that passage in 2 Corinthians 8 is when Paul is encouraging the church in Corinth right there. He was writing a letter to the church in Corinth and he's, like, and he's encouraging them to be financially generous in their giving. And instead of guilting them to death, Like, he takes them straight to the gospel. So chapter 8, verse 9 says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. And what that means is that Jesus was spiritually, is that Jesus was spiritually rich while we were spiritually poor. 
and he generously gave, gave us his spiritual riches, and he took our spiritual poverty upon himself. So he was spiritually rich, like we were not, like he exchanged that because he was generous. So your entire salvation is based on generosity. And that's why generosity is at the heart of the gospel. And 2 Corinthians 8, as 2 Corinthians 8 um, uses spiritual generosity of Jesus as a way of modeling what financial generosity looks like for us. That's why if you give financially to River City, um, we're thankful for that. Don't get me wrong. We're really thankful for that. Um, but even more importantly, we want you to be motivated properly, properly when it comes to like, giving financially. We want you to be motivated by looking at the gospel and be captive, being captivated by his generosity towards you. And that way you're motivated by grace. And all this stuff that I'm talking about this morning, um, these are just some of the ways that um, to be wise and understand money in the light of the gospel. I mean, we could talk like all morning and afternoon about this, but these are just some of the ways. And that's something that you need to like think and pray about yourself, about like, what is like, what is understanding money in the light of the gospel like look like for you? So Proverbs consistently points us in the direction of the gospel. And moving forward, the ball is in your court in terms of like what to do with this. Yeah. So what steps do you need to take when it comes to knowing and believing the gospel in terms of money? And that's an important question because like he's calling you to respond to this stuff and not have a compartmentalized life of like, well, my finances are over here. And it's just like, well, my spiritual life is over here. It's just like, no, like he's good. He's sovereign and he's good. And he's calling us to put all of that under his lordship. And that's why we, re- we invite you to respond to him like through communion. So as you turn from whatever it is he's calling you to turn from when it comes to money, we remember that he's our provider of all things in life, including everything we need because he is good and he is sovereign. So the bread symbolizes his body, the juice represents his blood, which were broken and shed for you. So our spiritual poverty was so bad that Jesus had to die. But we are so loved that he was happy to die for us. And that's why we gladly put our money and all our motivations for it under his lordship. So if Jesus is your forgiver and leader, we just invite you to take communion this morning. So there's two communion stations in the back over there. Um, the worship team is going to be coming up and playing three songs. And you can go on up whenever you're ready, like during when the music, anytime during those three songs. So you don't need to be a member here to take communion. You only need to belong to Jesus. So let's pray. So God, we're really thankful that um, you use money um, just in really surprising and unique ways to just really show us who you are and just to really um, to show us who we are too, God. And just where our true allegiances are or just like where our heart is at, God. Yeah, we're thankful that you use money for that. Like, um, yeah, we're just really thankful for you. And we just do pray that like there will be a culture here at River City of just like, um, yeah, just, uh, just valuing you and your kingdom priorities. Yeah, we just really need you for that. And um, yeah, and I pray that like any kind of generosity that like um, comes from us as a church, God, that like that'll be um, our motivations for that will just be really rooted in you and your generosity towards us. And 
we just can't thank you enough for that. We're thankful that you motivate us like that as opposed to through guilt or anything like that. So, yeah, we're thankful and we love you. Amen.